Welcome back to another episode of Read It or List It. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Ashley. And in today's episode, we are back with another author interview. Emily Newberger's debut novel, A Tender Thing, hit shelves on April 7th. Emily currently lives in Brooklyn, New York, where she graduated with her MFA from the Fiction Program at Brooklyn College. She also holds musical theater and writing degrees from NYU. A Tender Thing is an exhilarating debut novel set under the dazzling lights of late 1950s Broadway, where a controversial new musical pushes the boundaries of love, legacy, and art. It tells the story of Eleanor, who leaves her small town home in Wisconsin for the glitz and glamour of Broadway. While her dreams come true, her experiences turn out to be more important than just a life on the stage. I was thrilled to have the chance to speak with Emily since I'm an actress myself. And when I saw the description for this book when um, they reached out to us, I was like, I absolutely need to read that. I haven't read historical fiction in such a long time. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this book. So here is my conversation with Emily. All right. I'm so excited to welcome Emily Newberger to read it or list it. Hi, Emily. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. We're so excited. We just started doing an author interview series, and it has been such a joy to not only talk about books with each other, um, with my co-host Ashley, but uh, definitely diving into like the nitty gritty. Because um, I think as reviewers, we sometimes uh, can forget that there are people who have created <laughs> these stories that are like, like their children and everything. Um, so it's been so wonderful to be able to explore that side of the industry. Um, but before we get into talking about your debut novel, A Tender Thing, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our audience. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, um, so I'm Emily Newberger and I am a writer. I live in Brooklyn. This is my debut novel and um, it focuses on musical theater, which is also where I spent a lot of my background. I um, studied musical theater in undergrad before moving on to writing, which I studied in graduate school. So it was really enjoyable to sort of combine my two passions with the debut novel. Yeah, um, I'm also an actor. um, (laughs) And so I I was immediately drawn to the synopsis of your book, uh, because I was like, this is absolutely everything that I love. And it's been (laughs) such a long time since I read historical fiction. And it was, um, I've been in like a huge fantasy kick lately. So it was great to like return to something that was a little more grounded. Um, And I think a story that is so important for where we are in the world right now. um, And a story that I don't think has ever really been told before. So where did this idea come from? Um, Well, it's it's hard to say exactly where it come from because it felt so organic to me to tell a story set in the theater um, because that was so much of where, I think as a writer, you live so much in your imagination and the theater was where I think I learned, like my imagination was really honed as a child performing and just as an audience member primarily. Um, so it, I really gravitated toward uh, writing about the magic that is creating a show, like from what it feels like to be inside of one as you're performing, but also just like the love that people have for live performance actors and also just people who love the theater. So that, and then also um, setting it historically, 
just appeal to me because of the theater that was being created in that time. So I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say necessarily that I set out to write a historical fiction novel so much as I wanted to tell the story of this time and it was historical. So that it like had to be set in that time, I guess. That was when those all the things that drew me to the theater came together. Definitely. Um, I I think I'm going to pass this on to a lot of people who ask me like why I wanted to be an actor, like what drew me to the theater and all of that because Eleanor's passion is really, really evident on the page. Um, and definitely like how she talks about like, it wasn't about being on stage. It wasn't about being a star. It was just like the theater was what gave her like, life um yeah and I think that's a hard concept for a lot of people to understand because the audition scene is so difficult and all of that and um it just it's I think a lot of people don't understand like the the you don't always choose the theater the theater chooses you Um, it's a, a very um it's very special bond um and I loved how she uh towards the end was sort of exploring the idea of maybe uh, transitioning into writing. Um, and I think that that was also nice knowing your background. When I read your bio and knew that you have background in theater and then obviously transitioned to writing. Um, so since this is your debut novel, um, was there anything that um, you thought helped? Uh, like, since you didn't have like a strict deadline or did you have a deadline for this? No, I didn't. Um... I started working on this the summer before I started graduate school, um, but that was after a couple months of the idea being living in my head. And I wrote details down or wrote certain scenes, but I didn't really start the book in earnest until that summer. But it really just flowed out the first draft like very, very quickly um, once it clicked together for me. And once I got Eleanor's voice in my head, then everything sort of just came right out but after that I was able to take time on my own to revise for a long time and then once I found the agent that I wanted to work on work work with who she helped me um revise for a really long time we were able to be really patient with it and like take the time before even sending it out to publishers which I think made all the difference for me as a debut writer and able to get the book where I wanted it to be and then also to feel comfortable sort of with every stage happening more gradually yeah was it um how did it feel when you knew that it was going to be published like I feel like that's like oh my gosh like (laughs) I mean like I cried obviously yeah I um I was like I I was with a friend and I um checked my email and I told her and we were just so excited and then I called my mom um (laughs) and I mean it was just amazing I walked I went to NYU and um so I still live in New York and I left work that day I found out like over lunch and then um was walking by Washington Square Park where I had come as um in high school right before I started college and sort of walked there as a teenager you're like oh I'm going to live in New York and I thought be an actor but then I took that walk again knowing the book was coming it was a very magical moment yeah that's incredible I think I'm I'm a sucker for a soul full circle moment um (laughs) I love a good walk yeah (laughs) oh yeah I know when you hear like the movie music in the background (laughs) you're like oh yeah (laughs) can't tell that we both are involved in the theater but whatever (laughs) 
dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you already told us a little bit about your connection to the theater and um, why you wanted to write this story um, and how you didn't set out to write historical fiction, but it just seemed natural. Um, but what was the research process like? Like once you realized that, oh, I'm writing a book set in the 1950s. Um, well, that sort of came piece by piece. So um, I had a lot of background knowledge about musical theater from that time because I'd taken theater, like history classes and um, dramaturgy classes. So I um, went back to those texts that we read. And um, I also read a lot of memoirs and autobiographies of composers at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Leonard Bernstein has a series of books that are not memoir but they're like intellectual memoirs of like his creative processes and cool. um Stephen Sondheim has these annotated uh lyrics books of his lyrics I have and, them yeah, <laughs> finishing the hat um, so I looked at a lot of those things not so much for factual research but just like what the minds of those creative geniuses of that time were like mm -hmm. and then I also read a lot of newspaper articles and theater reviews from that time to oh, hear yeah. about how the public was talking about theater um because it was such a different um chunk of people's lives back then like yeah. now you have people who you have like theater people and then once in a while you have a musical like Hamilton that breaks through to the general public but back then they were way more popular with the general public and like yeah. what was on Broadway was much more talked about, even for people who never traveled to New York or like saw the shows, but the, you know, the music would play on the radio and things like that. And um, so I wanted to like, to understand how, how it was talked about as a popular culture, like as a yeah. section of the popular culture. That's awesome. I think that really is evident because it was the way um, the importance of live theater was so different. Um, I think now we realize that it's it's something we don't want to lose as an art form. Mm -hmm. And um, I think uh, now, like with them filming so many musicals, it's so great because uh, it's making it more accessible to people, but there's still nothing quite like that live connection. And I was so pleasantly like surprised by how you were able to capture that in your writing the um like just like the thrill of being on stage as an actor and like the audience's participation um I think the the scene where no one claps um is uh it like it hit me like how Charles was able to um recognize that as a more experienced professional and Eleanor was still like living as the character and all of a sudden that that silence meant different things to them at that time. Um, yeah, so, she's used to the rehearsal room, which is always yeah. and then he's a seasoned stage professional. So he's used to that relationship with the audience that he's just more sensitive to. Yeah. Um, and even though this is a fictional novel, I still felt so connected to the lyrics that you wrote. And I wish it was a real musical. <laughs> um, so do you write music or did you create these melodies for the, these lyrics? Um, well, so I did uh, write melodies for the lyrics that are in the book. I 
performed the audiobook myself, so <gasps> I actually sang those lyrics. In oh my gosh! Lyrics. Um, yeah, which is really fun, but I'm not primarily a composer. I have, I, when I studied musical theater, I have a Bachelor of Music, so I am a musician um, and a vocalist, but uh, I think words come much more naturally to me and like interpretation of music so I had more so than a melody for every song in mind I had an idea really strongly of the sound of the musical and that I think was more about the orchestrations like I had a really strong idea of this blend of orchestral music with like heavy brass and percussion that would be like a two-toned like the sophistication and uh, like elegance of one kind of music with like a darker sort of different chord progressions than you would normally hear in like a Rodgers and Hammerstein type yeah um so I had that in mind but I had to I wrote a lot of the musical lyrics out and a lot aren't in the book but just to have an idea for what the musical was when I wrote the book. I wrote a lot of the songs out on another document and kind of planned out the musical in my head. I wish it was a musical too. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and listen to the audiobook now. That is so cool. Um, yeah, I definitely think that people will will want to hear the music because um, with so many other famous musicals from the time that are mentioned, um, like uh, My Fair Lady and... Um, uh, the other shows that you mentioned, I think that it will, people will understand sort of like the time period better. Cause like, if you do, even if you're not like, oh, I'm well versed in the golden age of Broadway, like everyone knows My Fair Lady and Sound of Music and all of that. So I think that it gives a good backdrop of like the juxtaposition between what a tender thing was during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm so excited about the audiobook now. <laughs> I feel oh like we're gonna yeah. end up um, with uh, like uh, everyone thought that Daisy Jones and the Six was a real band, um, the book by Taylor Jenkins Reid. So now I bet you're gonna get questions for the rest of your life of, oh, is this a real musical? <laughs> I know. Um, I like it's kind of like Smash, you know, with the the bombshell musical. Yes. Oh. I just made that a musical. I I'm still waiting for that. I was. Um, I was going to say, and when I post my review of A Tender Thing, um, I always do like, this is a perfect book for fans of blank. And Smash was one of the things that I was going to put in there. I was like, if you like Daisy Jones, if you liked Smash, City of Girls, you'll, you'll love this book. Um, and I think a reason why I loved it so much were the characters felt so familiar to me, not only as an actor, but like as um, a person. Uh, everyone felt very human and three-dimensional. But I really think that Charles's character was just so important. Um, And I was really, really moved by his interaction with Eleanor in Boston, where they do the out-of-town tryout for a tender thing before they move to Broadway. Um, How he expressed his frustrations with how careful and patient he had to be with her um, and how he has to present himself in white spaces so how did you prepare to write about race in such a way? Um, well, that scene is also my favorite in the whole book when he takes her out um, yes. in Boston. Yeah, and they go Beautiful. on like, a big date. That's like my favorite to have written. Um, that was really something I had to work up to for sure, um, mm-hmm. to be writing and like doing a lot of thinking and a lot of conversations. Um, 
with friends that I have and, and um, just like widely reading and trying to think about put, putting myself in his shoes. And also um, just thinking about how I did not want to write someone who was just like helping out this white girl. And yes. so I was thinking like he, he is like just innately a kind person. So he is helping her out, but it's not this altruism thing. It's like he he likes her and they're friends. So that's why he's helping her out at first. But that doesn't mean it doesn't cost him something and that that doesn't that cost doesn't get harder the longer he has to be that sort of crutch for her. And then um, also one of my very favorite writers is James Baldwin, especially mm-hmm. his fiction. I think his mm-hmm. fiction is like so incredibly beautiful. And um, he was one of my favorites like well before this book, but I went back to um, a lot of his work in including the book, Another Country, which is just like so gorgeous. And there's a lot of scenes where a black man, he starts dating a white woman and they're walking through New York City. And I mean, that book is amazing, but um, it was really inspiring to me just thinking about like the internality of the two people and how even if you're technically allowed to do something, that doesn't mean that the societal pressures won't make it so difficult that it's actually not worth doing at all. And so I think that's what Charles is trying to impress to Eleanor when he takes her out. It's like, sure, love can make it possible for two people to be together but is it going to be easy or is that just going to wear away at the at the love after a long time yeah um yeah and I think just thinking of Charles as an individual person like it took a just the way any other character like starting from who is this person the way I wrote Don or Eleanor and um an actor after a long time would just be like annoyed having to help this green actor. Oh yeah. He's a professional and she's not. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was saying to um, Ashley, my co-host who wasn't able to join us today that um, when I first started it, I was like, hold on. I was like, this girl moved to New York and got a job in a Broadway workshop right away with like yeah. no other professional experience. Um, but I, I think, think that happened a bit more back then like oh, not like it was easy but definitely now that would never but like <laughs> I, I think that it's a great vehicle for the reader who is not an actor or a Broadway buff um to like step into the shoes of like literally being thrown into this process that is so foreign to so many people so I think that um, not only is Eleanor like a wonderful character as herself, but I think it's really easy for the audience to identify with her and like the things that confuse her and the things that she doesn't think about. Um, so I don't know. I, I loved her because I mean, I wish <laughs> I wish that I could um, just step into a Broadway show like that. But she does put so much work and heart into it. And she's not. um in the end, like she definitely deserves it, I think, because she um, she does put the work in, and she's willing she's willing to learn, um, and she's really lucky to have someone like Charles alongside her and Don as well. Um, yeah. uh, she is talented, I think. Like, yeah, you see her from the beginning, want enjoying the work, not yeah. wanting the the accolade so much as enjoying rehearsal and practice and and that is, I think, that that foundation allows her to climb that ladder. Definitely. 
Um, did you relate to any of the characters the most or did you enjoy writing one of them more than the other? Or um, it's, this is not, is not a book that's told in multiple perspective, but I feel like we still get like such honest moments of climbing into these other characters' heads. I mean, especially Charles and Don um, and even Rosie at certain points, Eleanor's <laughs> best friend who I so, <laughs> she's a delight. Like, she I was like her. my favorite one to write, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, I don't know. I found them all extremely, um, they're all special to me by the end of the writing process. And I think there's like relating to someone and then there's having empathy and I felt empathy with a lot of them. Um, the one aspect of Eleanor's character that is really close to mine is just the, the arc of going from performance to writing and mm -hmm. hers is obviously very different from mine, but I think I felt her way through it through my own emotional journey of, of realizing what was attractive to me about storytelling. And yeah and whether it needed to be done through performance or it could be done through another, another yeah. medium. Getting a show to Broadway is not an easy thing. And so Emily does a really great job of taking us through the process from workshops and casting um, to the out of town tryout, which is um, the scenes in Boston that we were discussing earlier um, through opening night and sort of the anxieties that uh, a, a team has because there's no guarantee that it's going to make it. Um, but I had like so much adrenaline coursing through me as we were gearing up to a Tender Things opening night um, because the writing was like so action oriented, which I don't think a lot of people would expect in historical fiction. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about like your writing process? Um, did you feel any anxieties in those moments? <laughs> um, well, I think some of that is that the book did take form really fast, but I think in that moment when you're creating a show, and I've never done an out-of-town tryout or anything, but um, it is so high pressure that I think there's so much doing and there's not any time to think. And what the reflection comes later, or like the characters are changing throughout the action, but they're not really reflecting. And so you see how they're changing as their actions change moment to moment. But I mean, she's going from rehearsal to costume, you know, fittings to press junkets and all these things. And it's just every hour of her day is packed. And the character's not gonna be having these big long moments of internality when she's also so new to this and in over her head and just trying to stay afloat. So mm -hmm. I think that, I didn't do that I didn't like think about that ahead of time, but just being in her emotional state as because it is all in her point of view sort of made that happen on its own. Yeah, definitely. I, um, I like the, I think the last like 40%, I couldn't put it down. I was definitely, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, and I, I always say I'm not an investigative journalist. Like I don't try to think about what's going to happen um, towards the end. And I couldn't help thinking of all these scenarios. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, is this, are we going to get a happily ever after? Like, what, <laughs> like is something bad going to happen? Are there going to be more protesters? What's going to happen? Um, and that's very unlike me. So everyone <laughs> knows that about me. I'm always, I take that. I, I take what I'm given and run with it. So you can hear it from me first, but this is, like so compelling. Um, <laughs> Thank you. 
And I know with like the uncertain times, I'm sure you haven't gotten to see it on bookshelves or anything yet. Oh, um, <laughs> it's been so, we've talked about so many times, it's been so devastating for especially debut authors. Like this is your moment and you don't get to go out to the bookstore and see it, but at least people are still able to read it. Um, so what are you most looking forward to for the book's future? For the book's future? I mean, I think, I sort of made peace with the the moment thing mm-hmm. going on its own because my family and my friends have been so supportive and like colleagues, everybody like came out on Zoom and, and just like wished me well and everything. So I felt so emotionally supported and it was like wonderful to connect with so many people. But I mean, just the, the visibility and like the hope that readers can find the book because I think for debuts especially, it's hard to um, connect with people online when mm-hmm. everyone's not just in books, but everything is online now. And so um, just trying to to help because help people find a home. Because I also know um, I would have, I didn't read about musical theater when I, I mean, yeah. I loved reading growing up as well as musicals. And I think I would have loved to find a book, but it's hard Um right now just to have that human to human connection so I think that's what I'm hoping for most is that like I who knows what's going to happen I mean I can't even say what I want to do most outside of quarantine because (laughs) what's going to happen after so I just hope that people who um, will connect with the book have a chance to connect with the book yeah do you have any hopes for the reader like what they get out of it or um who they fall in love with or anything like that I mean I do certainly hope that some people will read the book who are um who have some learning to do as Mm -hmm. we all do but um Eleanor really goes on a journey from thinking that she is just not part of the problem at all with race and that like gender isn't like sexism isn't affecting her journey at all and racism is just really not in her life and that's just not true and she learns that um again and again throughout the novel sometimes painfully and sometimes she like hurting people in the process and I do hope that people who need to learn those things will find the book um Mm -hmm. because I think that's just incredibly I mean there's just a lot of conversations around like prejudice versus racism versus um systematic issues and I think Eleanor learns for herself that you don't necessarily have to be going out like committing hateful acts to be part of the problem and she definitely is part of the problem and I think all of us could do especially white people and like white readers can do to take a second and be like wow okay Mm -hmm. what am I doing that is perpetuating these things and writing the book for me was also a journey of like my own my own thoughts about my own actions and my own thought processes and choices that I make and so I hope readers who um could use to go on Eleanor's journey will go on her journey with her yeah I think that's so important there's a really poignant moment where at Eleanor mentions like well you're I don't see you as black or white like you're just a person and I think that people don't realize that that in itself is part of the problem we do need to be aware of our differences because you have the privilege to walk around as a white woman and 
yes, you're a woman in New York City in the 1950s and you have to take care of yourself, but she still still has a privilege um, that she's learning about. And um, I think that's definitely a journey that I went on. But if you are working on anything right now, can you tell us about it? Um, I am, but I get sort of nervous talking about <laughs> things before they're far enough along. Yeah. Um, but I, it's a love story, which oh. is exciting for me because I love romance and love stories. Um, and a tender thing, the musical is a romance and there's <laughs> aspects of romance in the book. But um, I'm really focusing on that this time. So perfect. Well, we can expect more then, which is great. Um, well, is there anything else you would like to share with everyone or? Um... Just that I hope that everyone is staying home and staying healthy and <laughs> I, I guess as happy as they can be right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, <laughs> but hopefully, I mean, the longer we stick to the rules, the, the better everything will be as we come out of this, I think. I'm I hope. Very hopeful as well. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Emily. I am so, I'm so happy that your book came into my life. Um, yes. I'm, I can't wait for other people to get to experience it. It's definitely going to be on my my most recommended lists for the time being to oh, share with people. So <laughs> um, all right. Uh, A Tender Thing is on sale now, uh, and we hope that you get pick it up. And we will be back with another episode soon. As always, make sure to leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcast and stop by today's Instagram post at Read It or List It Pod with your thoughts on today's interview episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Original music by Jake Thorne. Original artwork by Lindsay Huckabee. You can find Lindsay on Instagram at Lindsay Draws It Again or on Etsy at Lindsay Draws Co. Podcast produced and edited by me, Ashley Chandler, and Phoebe Wright. You can find us on Instagram at Read It or List It Pod. All rights reserved 2020.